Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. Welcome to Millennial 620. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Oh boy, has it been a week. You know, I've been joking about running off to a cabin just for the pandemic, but now I'm thinking about running off to a cabin to avoid everything that's going on in America. Or maybe like a cabin on another planet. Yeah, I'll hitch one of those SpaceX flights. That was one good thing that happened this week. The launch of uh, that SpaceX flight to the International Space Station. We're not going to talk about that today, though. (laughs) We have too much misery to talk about. Yep. No, but we're going to start the show with some good news, some lighter news. And then later in the episode, we're going to talk about what happened to George Floyd. We're going to talk about some pandemic developments. But first, lighter stuff, lighter stuff. What did you two do over Memorial Day weekend? Anything? Uh, No, because... There's a pandemic and I didn't go anywhere. (laughs) We did do for Memorial Day. We did do um, a Southern favorite. We did a country boil. And um, I don't know if y'all have ever done one of these, um, but it's basically where you boil a bunch of like potatoes, corn, sausage, shrimp, um, whatever other things you might prefer to add. And you do it with like Cajun seasoning. We usually use Zatarain's. Um, and then you dump it all out onto some newspaper and then everybody just goes in hands only, no utensils. Um, so much fun and such an easy, me- easy meal to cook, um, but also just a fun way to bond with family. So if you haven't mm-hmm. done one of these before, highly recommend it this summer. Um, super easy, I haven't. quick cleanup. I, I saw your picture on social media, though. I thought you were at like a barbecue restaurant or yeah, something. It, it looks really like good. that's what it was out of no and that's the great thing it looks super fancy but it's not (laughs) you just threw a bunch of shit into a pot yep (laughs) like when we were kids we would take any bottle of alcohol we could find and put it into a giant kettle and then just stir and then drink it right we used to do that at the harry potter conferences yes that is correct (laughs) i I believe we one time mixed vodka with red bull and cranberry juice and it was absolutely disgusting that was just that's a mild concoction (laughs) there were other ones had rum and tequila and whatever else we could find that was in that cauldron that was terrible i love that it was a cauldron (laughs) pam did you do anything over memorial day yeah i did some reading but we're gonna get to that in a bit so (laughs) yeah yeah so last episode we were off last week but two weeks ago pat and i we ran off to vegas for a couple reasons that i explained in that episode and so we were in vegas over my birthday it sucks to have your birthday during the pandemic i gotta say there's uh absolutely nothing to do (laughs) obviously the bars are not open uh we tried to have fun just drinking at home i mean the highlight of the night was taco bell Five cheesy gordita crunches for me, please. And uh, a side of Mad Men season four. Um, But we did do something very dangerous while we were in Vegas. And I can barely believe that I'm here to tell the tale. We 
eight at a restaurant. Why wow. would you do that? Because <laughs> they started reopening. And we said, well, Vegas is open, so let's go. So they were socially distancing tables, so you couldn't sit next to anybody at a table. The people were at least six feet apart. We also ate outside, though this restaurant was offering indoor seating as well. And uh, we lived to tell the tale. I mean, they were reopening. We didn't have any th- anything else to do, so why not? And it was strange because we haven't eaten out for two months, three months. And looking at like a glass of water or using a utensil, you're like, hmm, how much coronavirus is on this? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we did it and other people were there and it was fine. It felt weird, but it was fine. Did you wear masks at any point during your visit? To Vegas? In stores, Mm -hmm. we did. Outside, I have stopped wearing a mask, honestly. I'm keeping my six feet from other people. Mm -hmm. But we keep hearing that things are reopening, outdoor activities are reopening because that that is safe because it's a lot of fresh air. So I have felt less inclined to wear a mask outside. Honestly, I know some people won't like that, but... I think it just depends on your proximity. Like, if I'm outside, but it's more of a populated area, I still wear one. If I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, walking up and down my street, I don't. Um, But did people look at you funny for wearing a mask when you were inside? Because that's what's starting to happen here. It's starting to happen everywhere, I think. Yeah. yeah. It really sucks. It's amazing how wearing a mask has become politicized. I know. That's we've so definitely, weird. we've gotten stink eye from people just being like out and around. There's usually some old redneck who's looking at us like, look at these fucking dummies. They bought that democratic conspiracy <laughs> hoax. <laughs> Have you seen that, Pam? No, everybody's still following orders here, but also it's Northern California, so... Yeah, I just think that we're mm-hmm. inclined to be a little bit smarter about things. You can't win either way. If you're wearing a mask, people will bitch. If you're not wearing a mask, people will bitch. Pat was outside a couple weeks ago on my street. Two gay guys walk past him and say, oh, another one wearing a mask. Two gay guys, too. What the fuck? You think they'd be a little more, you know, liberal on this. <laughs> so, OK, when I see people who aren't wearing masks, I don't act that way. I don't sit there and go, oh, my God, what an idiot for not wearing a mask. I think it, but I don't say it. And I just move the fuck away because I'm like, "Mm, okay, I don't want to be near your little germ factory. So I'm going to clear the fuck out. But how self-fucking-righteous. I know. (laughs) know? I know. And complaining about somebody wearing a mask. Yeah. It has no effect on you. It's not hurting you. Right. (laughs) If anything, it's it's helping you. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. What a fucking asshole. But there's people like this all over the country. It's amazing. But anyway, before we get into all of that, over our break, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes came out. This is the new Hunger Games book. Who's read it or at least gotten into it? I finished it. Laura, you, you haven't touched it? Nope. I will eventually. I forgot. You forgot. I actually, I forgot that it was released too for like a day or so because nobody was talking about it online. Yeah, this is maybe not the the right time to sink your teeth into a Hunger Games book, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I still stand by my initial reaction, which I tweeted, which is that I, I just felt like I didn't care as much about the characters, any of the characters really, as I wanted to. Um, but I felt like 
halfway through the games and then the entire third part of the book were like super strong. I thought that that was the best part. Interesting. Okay, because we listened to part one and two and I've I really enjoyed it while we were driving back here. But I've now been reading part three and I don't like it as much as I did part one and part two. I'm a little bored. I still have a ways to go, so maybe it'll get better. But I'm glad to hear you really liked part three because so far I'm kind of mad on it. I just felt like because what the Hunger Games are really is is like it's the the idea of the trilogy is an experiment on morality, right? Human condition and human morality. And I just felt like that idea really shined through in the third part. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. Just because of where snow ends up and stuff like that. Um, like the, the stuff in the capital, it's, I think it's kind of hard to to feel any kind of empathy for these people because they're just kind of disgusting even back then because, you know, they're just going yeah. with the flow. Um, but it was really fun to see like little nods to what we already knew and, and some of like the names pop up and stuff like that. So for anybody who doesn't know, it follows Snow as a mentor to an interesting tribute. And I think that tribute um, is one of the bright spots of the book in the Hunger Games' first year with mentors. This is the 10th Hunger Games, I believe. Like you, I found it interesting to see the early days of the Hunger Games and how they developed and more insight into why they existed and how the people of Panem feel about the games. It's a very different President Snow or Coriolanus Snow. Um, and I'm still not seeing how he gets from this snow to the elder snow, who's a total asshole. The book also has a lot of musical elements, which is interesting and refreshing. And for that reason, I actually think this could be a pretty good movie. And I was thinking about a movie adaptation the whole time because we already know Lionsgate wants to turn this into a movie. So I've been trying to imagine it. And I can see it because this tribute that Snow works with is a very unique character. And it was a refreshing twist. It's kind of like the baby Yoda of of this Hunger Games spinoff. So I'd give it a B currently. I, I haven't been dying to finish reading it, but I look forward to that because I'm hoping it's it does it help explain does part three help explain how snow becomes the snow that we know? Um, yeah, I just think that you start to see the downward spiral a little bit more. And okay, I mean, like, I don't think there's a case to be made for a lot of the stuff that he ends up doing, but I really feel like it helps you kind of understand how he got there. And that's basically okay. what this is supposed to be. So so anyway, that's the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I think I've seen a lot of mixed reviews overall, including from our listeners. I know some of them sounded off on social media as well when we posted Pam's tweets. How about Lady Gaga's Chromatica? Pam, our music queen, what do you think? I thought that it was a grand return to Ooh. old Gaga. And oh. I feel like she really leaned into her dancehall anthem roots. So if you're into that, you will love this. I listened to the song that has Ariana Grande in it. That's a bop. Rain on me. The first time I listened, I was like falling asleep because I listened the night it came out. And I was very met on it. But it has slowly grown on me. At first, I thought the songs sounded all too similar. And they still kind of do to me. Because this is a dance album, like Pam said. And I like that she's returning to those roots. But the songs are not unique when you go from one song to the next whereas the fame the fame monster all those songs are so damn unique even even the rest of her um albums very unique stuff this 
all sounded somewhat similar. However, like I said, the album is growing on me. I love Alice, Stupid Love, Rain On Me, Free Woman. I like the musical interludes and how they connect to the following song. I like Sour Candy, Enigma, and Sign with Elton John. That was really good. Um, Elton sounds like 20 years younger. I don't know if that's actually him or they really process his voice. I really Maybe like 911, um, and I see a lot of, uh, or like one person in particular calling that track out. So shout out to them because that's probably my favorite. I don't know if you like. Okay. Maybe they got um, Taron Edgerton. Is that who played him? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he did did Elton's Sign from above. God, imagine <laughs> <laughs> that one's been running through my head a lot. So. Overall, I'm very happy with Chromatica. Thank God. I just, every damn Gaga album, in my opinion, has held up so well. I still enjoy the fame, the fame monster, even freaking art pop, born this way, obviously. So much, so much good music she has come out with over the years. And I really hope this one holds up. I as wonder well. if that's why she called it Chromatica, because it's very monochromatic chromatic and sound mm. Ooh. it's a bit more cohesive but cohesive sometimes is not the best thing because like you can do cohesive well and it's a very interesting experience as a listener but sometimes cohesive can get a little too redundant so i don't know just a thought yeah anyway very pleased with that also i would like to issue a big fuck you to john krasinski he <laughs> put together this new web series some good news when the pandemic started and we all loved it. It was very heartwarming. It was like all the best bits of the Ellen show where they surprise people. And he just wanted to make people feel better during the pandemic. And why it was so popular was it felt homegrown. It felt genuine. A couple of weeks ago, this asshole announces that he's selling some good news. There was a big bidding war over it and Viacom CBS snapped up the rights to some good news. It's now going to be a CBS All Access exclusive, so it's no longer available to everybody, and John Krasinski is no longer hosting it. Somebody else is going to do it. Do we know who? Not yet, I don't think, but he's still going to be a producer. It just feels so slimy that this guy who put together this wholesome program to make us feel good, it felt like he was in it because he truly cared. He truly wanted mm -hmm. to make people feel better, improve their days, improve their lives during the pandemic. He turns around and he sells this. He was in it for the money. So fuck you, John Krasinski. And this took off because everybody who watched The Office wanted to fuck him. They were in love with him. He's kind of attractive. He's not my type, but that's besides the point. He pulled the rug out from under us. And I don't like it one bit. Yeah. And also, this idea of some good news, I'm going to share good news. That's not an original idea. And yet, it goes for millions of dollars to CBS Viacom, and he won't even be on it anymore? People watch it just because they want to fuck him. A lot of people also <laughs> took issue with the fact that it was a kind of a crowdsourced um, show. So people would send in the good news ideas. <laughs> so yeah. It just gets worse and worse. <laughs> Like he was doing that me, much work. That reminds me of a site that we all used to know called Gives Me Hope. Oh, yes, from yeah. Emerson. Yeah, <laughs> people submitted content and he just copy and pasted it. Wow, good stuff. And Slapped then he goes and sells ads that on the. Yeah, and then he sold it. <laughs> yeah, sold it for probably a lot of money. His whole network of copy and pasted content. We're suckers. We're all suckers. We're falling for this shit. We just need to stoop. To this level. No, we don't. Everybody liked some good news because it felt 
genuine and now it it turns out it was just for the money in john krasinski's defense he said it was time for me to move on from it i've got some projects going on coming up in the near future and i need to focus on those so i get that but don't go and sell it just do the show every six months from now on or something like that and it's not even you doing it it's your producer planning it and then you sit there and talk and look cute or just say like it's run its course it's done yeah. Like, it's okay for stuff to end. This is something That's that gets true. on my nerves with American television in particular. Nothing mm-hmm. can ever end. Right. Like, we had how many freaking seasons of Supernatural and Grey's Anatomy? It's like, we don't need, like, 13 to 15 seasons of stuff. Um, and this is what I so admire about, for instance, like, UK television. Like, oftentimes you have, like, series one, two, three maybe four. But that's mm-hmm. like the outer limit. Um, because they have a story. They want to tell it. They tell the story. They achieve what they set out to do. And they're not trying to extend a story by adding a bunch of fluff for five seasons in order to get ratings, you know? Yeah. So yeah. this is just, it's a whole attitude behind American television that drives me insane. Yeah. And not just television, but movies, books, because even when something mm-hmm. does end, then there's the spinoff. There's yep. the Mandalorian. There's Fantastic Beasts. There's the Hobbit. There's these backdoor pilots all the time for television shows. It it never ends. Mandalorian was actually good. Fantastic Beasts. Eh. Jury's still out. <laughs> yeah. Jury's still out. And now some other celebrity is going to come along and do some very good news and then sell that for $50 million to HBO Max. See what it's I good did there? Transition. Speaking of HBO Max. <laughs> Who is subscribed to HBO Max? I am. I just found out I have a free account. So I am too. <laughs> what do you mean free account? You can use your HBO account? No, it's uh, AT&T with the unlimited plan on the cell phone. It, oh, it was HBO okay. Go, but they've upped it to HBO Max. So that's really nice. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Like these other streamers there's tons of movies there's about 2000 at launch on hbo and then there's the whole hbo library and they've acquired a bunch of tv series including friends they have a couple original series so far one of them is love life starring anna kendrick and i actually watched the first three episodes last night and i really do like it it piqued my interest because i love anna kendrick by surprise all eight harry potter movies are available on hbo max so that's nice i don't know if i'm gonna I'm going to keep this because I want HBO anyway. I like watching John Oliver and Bill Maher and some of the series that HBO has. But I don't know if I'm going to spend too much time in the Max side of the HBO subscription because there's not a ton there. Um, There's some movies I definitely want to watch again, like Downton Abbey, Wonder Woman. Freaking Titanic is on here. Joker, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, I only uh, get HBO when there's a show running that I want to watch. Like, I will resubscribe this summer for... Um... Game of Thrones. No. No. Big big Little Lies. What? I'm like... Oh, I have bad news for you. Big Little Lies isn't coming back. Oh, it's not? No. Not this year, anyway. Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> for a moment, I was like... I had this moment in my head where I was like, I think that's the name of the show, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. So I'm just going to blurt it out and hope that it was right. Um, that's too bad, though. But yeah, I only, about- I only subscribe when there's something on there I actually want to see. Yeah. How about Succession? Did you ever watch that? I haven't, but I heard it was good. So fucking good. 
Highly recommend that. You will laugh your ass off. You too, Pam. You need to watch it. Oh, I've already seen it. <laughs> oh, good. But it's good. Second the recommendation. Yeah. yeah. That's about it for that. Also, just want to say congratulations to our Millennial Trivia Night winners, Malia, Julia, and Allie S. They won cash prizes, baby. And uh, those were Venmoed off to them. We had a lot of fun at our first trivia night, right? Yeah, it was a good time. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. everybody, for the part three. I saw some people were like, God damn it with the politics. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. So let's talk about the latest developments concerning the coronavirus. The official death toll while we were off surpassed 100,000 people in the United States, which, of course, I think a couple months ago, we never would have fathomed that happening here in America. Um, But it did. And of course, that number continues to climb every day. Notably, a lot of cities are reopening now, slowly but surely. New York City announced that they will probably begin opening June 8th, so a week from now. Um, Chicago is starting to reopen. I know I'm going to be able to go get a haircut starting on Wednesday. So that's pretty cool. Although I'm going to talk about this a little later. Apparently barbershops are high risk for getting coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Have your cities opened anymore? Um, So our esteemed governor, Brian Kemp here in Georgia um, announced that restaurants were um, totally good to fully reopen as of today. Um, Before today, they were reopened, but if they were going to seat people, they had to seat people six feet apart. Um, A lot of restaurants had opted not to do that and continue doing curbside service. And even with this um, new development, a lot of restaurants are continuing to do curbside service because they know it's still too early and still too risky to be seating people that close together. Um, So... Yes, we're pretty much reopened at this point, and it's up to private businesses to draw a line in the sand and decide to be safe. Mm -hmm. I had heard, I have to double check on my city because I had heard that they were ready to reopen things like hair salons and barbershops, and then they walked it back and decided not to do it yet. Um, But I have Mm. noticed that a couple of... um, like they're expanding businesses that are open to curbside pickup. So I believe you'll mm-hmm. be able to do curbside for like clothing stores now, which is nice. Um, and also I was very excited about this. I got an email from my local library today saying that they've started a curbside pickup service. <laughs> so that means I, can go, <laughs> I can check out books and then like they'll bring them to my car and that'll be nice. <laughs> Damn, you could have read the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes without... Having purchased it. Right? Because, like, look, they only had one ebook edition and there were 60 people on the wait list. So I was like, let me just go to Target <laughs> real quick and pick that up. I think what's shocking to me about all of this is like, we all live through 9 11 and we know how certain parties and certain individuals like to use that as like a trump card, like a political trump card. And I remember when that happened, like we lost 3000 people that day and we were so as a country, we were so fucking sad (laughs) about that, rightfully so, as we should have been. But now we're looking at the equivalent of like 33 9-11s and it's not getting a ton of attention. Like we're not hearing about who these people were and you know, 
and sort of like learning about the ways that communities have been impacted by this. In addition to that, we have 40 million people unemployed at this point. And it just doesn't seem like this is being treated with the gravity that it deserves. And every time I see people sort of out, um, you know, judging and mimicking or mocking people who choose to wear masks, it makes me really angry because I'm like, you have to know over 100,000 people are dead now just in the last three months. Like, how do you not have any regard for that? And I just wish that we were seeing um, a more presidential response from our leadership about (laughs) this. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Um, I just think it's really sad that we as a country can't mourn something if we don't see it. You know what I mean? Like, it's really sad that the gravity of how many people have died because of the pandemic is not being processed because it wasn't um, as graphic of a loss as something like planes mm-hmm. hitting the Twin Towers. You know what I mean? Yep. But it shouldn't take something like that for you to have empathy for people that are dying Yeah. in any situation. I think another reason that it hasn't really hit people is because the number has been climbing slowly. You know, 9-11, basically all at once, you know, we lost all those poor people. With this, it's been a gradual climb, and we've gotten conditioned to knowing that so many people are dying every day that it doesn't even feel like a big deal. And then, of course, in the White House, they're acting like this, you know, it was an invisible enemy. Nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Unless they want to blame China for it. And then it's the Chinese virus. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In which case, they're being totally xenophobic. I mean, we've said it before, if this was Hillary in the White House, this would be, they would be calling her a terrorist for killing 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. I think Donald Trump is a terrorist. And uh, we've just been banned from YouTube. Wait, he said much worse. (laughs) When we were approaching 100,000 deaths, the New York Times put 1,000 names of those who have died on their front page. And I think that really uh, made everybody pause for a moment, because when you see those names printed you know, and you see that headline, U.S. nearing 1,000 deaths, 100,000 deaths. It's just really striking. So the New York Times, I think, did a good job in helping people realize just how tragic this is. Agreed. But like I said, many cities and entities are trying to reopen, and one of them is theme parks. And we thought we could talk about that because that's kind of a lighter topic. And I'm sure people are curious and thinking about when they can visit a theme park again one day. Maybe you were planning on visiting one this year. So, Pam, what are Disney and Universal doing? Because they're planning to reopen within the next month or so. Yeah, this was kind of crazy. I was reading through some of the stuff in the proposals for both of these parks, the measures they're going to be taking to make sure that there are extra safety precautions for people that want to come and visit. Um, So I guess we'll start with Walt Disney World. Uh, So first, they have plans for temperature checks of guests and staff 
They're also going to increase social distancing with frequent signage. They want to put up numerous hand-washing stations throughout the park and also backstage. Um, You're going to maybe see some use of plexiglass barriers at retail and food and beverage locations, kind of like you're already probably seeing at the grocery stores you're going to. Um, There is going to be an expansion of mobile ordering at uh, restaurants and frequent cleaning of high-touch areas reduce capacity at park attractions, restaurants, retail stores, and transportation connecting the parks. And this is the kicker. Uh, They're suspending fireworks, character meet and greets, and water displays than anything else that might draw a large crowd. So basically, if you go, you're really only going to ride the rides. (laughs) That's it. Um, Well, and uh, did you mention they're making everybody wear a mask too, right? That's the big one. Yeah. In the in middle the of heat. summer yeah. in Orlando, <laughs> it's hard enough to breathe in those things in normal weather, in, in cooler weather. So, and of course, as we've been talking about, people refuse, refuse to wear masks. So they're going to be turning around, turning down so many people at the gate. And this is going to be on video, these people rioting because they want to be, they want to be allowed in the park without wearing a mask. This is bullshit. Trump 2020. Also, just kids, too. It's it's harder to make kids comfortable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, kids mm-hmm. should be wearing masks, but I think it's going to be harder to police that. And and parents get really weird about people telling them what to do with their kids, even if it's for their own good. So Exactly. Yep. And I heard they might hire more employees just to that are dedicated to spacing people out like if they start seeing people crowding in one area of like of like you know in front of the castle they'll jump in and be like hey everybody can you please spread out people are gonna hate that and then of course there's the question are people actually going to show up? You're going to need to reserve a day in the park, right? In advance as well. Um, I didn't read that for Orlando, but I'm sure you will because Shanghai Disney's already open. So they're already kind of doing some of this stuff. And one of the mm-hmm. things that they're doing is is asking guests to res- reserve a time to come so that they can stagger out when people show up. Um, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. It's kind of it mm-hmm. seems like it would be impossible to plan a vacation if you wanted to do it last minute, depending on how many people are going to want to go. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell right now. I guess you two wouldn't be comfortable returning to a park anytime soon. Hell no. no. <laughs> and I and I honestly think if somebody wishes to go to a park, that's fine. But they should have to wear the fucking mask. I'm in total agreement here. If you are in a position where you feel like it is worth it to put yourself out in the world in the midst of a global pandemic, have fun. Private companies can tell you to put on a mask or get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I can't wait to see these people freak oh, out when they're, they're being gonna told. They're going to melt down. <laughs> so many Karens. Uh, Kay Blue in the Discord said, you'd be surprised how many pass holders are immediately willing to wear masks to go back to the parks. Universal pass holders were going crazy to get spots for pass holder previews for Wednesday and Thursday. So I guess people are yeah, already so chomping Universal, at the bit. Universal started opening this week. It's it's a little slimy to see the parks opening again this soon when there's still so many cases happening. And you know why people are rushing to get back in the parks. They want to be the first people to Instagram. Oh my God, I'm riding Hagrid's Magical Creature Motorbike Adventure. 
Yeah. Also, like rides, what are they doing? Are they seating people together? So yeah, so uh, Universal like- has some different rules and regulations. And one of them is first of all, expanding the use of virtual lines so people aren't crowded together. I don't know how this helps people crowding in stores and stuff though. So I, I, oh yeah, yeah those stores are small exactly. especially in the wizarding world so yeah. they're actually doing away with single rider lines to avoid sitting strangers together so that's one way they're kind of tackling that but yeah i mean like i guess, I guess you can also put a maximum capacity on people in stores but even then there's only so much space like out in the street at theme parks anyway so so jackie is saying I'm curious how they check temperatures. So now there's these cool tools and we may have spoken about one a couple months ago. You can just point it at somebody's forehead and it reads your temperature. I had an experience with this at a Menchie's frozen yogurt in Vegas. You walk in, it's like a hospital in there for some reason. They're taking these, everything so seriously. You have to wear a mask and gloves in Menchie's to get your frozen yogurt. But you go in and you're greeted by this like iPad and it's got a temperature scanner. So you just look into it. It just scans your face. It, it says your temperature. And then it says, welcome to Manchis. And you just continue you know what? walking. You buried the lead. That's the bravest thing you did on vacation is go to a self-serve yogurt bar where everybody can touch <laughs> well, the things. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the ingredients, the toppings that you put on top of your Froyo, they're in individual containers. Okay, that's So good. now you just grab. Yeah, I thought that was really smart. Um, but yeah, the Froyo, well, you're wearing gloves. So if you're touching the handle, I don't, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I was really impressed by that temperature reader. I want one in my house just to keep checking my temperature throughout the day for <laughs> Pat fun. Runs a temperature have, and you're like, too bad you're sleeping outside tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we have one of the temperature guns that you just oh, you point at your forehead. Yeah. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like point that like up your butt just to see like the temperature differences? No. I've definitely done it to my dog to see the temperature differences, but it won't read her because she has fur. Oh. Um, but no, we check our temperature daily. Do you really? Yeah, I'm paranoid <laughs> as fuck. And I feel like, especially since we're here with my parents, yeah. who are, you know, they're both like in that like above 60, like risk group. Um, so I'm like, yeah, we have to keep an eye on this and make sure that we're not bringing something to them. I want to know what would have happened if my temperature was too high uh, when I <laughs> looked into that Minchi camera. Like, would have like would have gone like shamed. alert, alert, <laughs> alert. Just want to launch you out. Yeah. So now, on top of security lines and ticket lines at the theme park, everybody's going to get their temperature read. I'm envisioning a lot of pissed off moms and dads, but they know what they're getting into, so I guess they shouldn't complain. Also, NPR had this interesting report. How risky? Our various summer activities. So I thought we could go through a few of those just to let everybody know what's risky and what's not. A BYOB backyard gathering with one other household, low to medium risk. Eating indoors at a restaurant, medium to high risk. Mm-hmm. Attending a religious service indoors, high risk. What are you laughing at, Pam? Laura's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I sat outside only because they didn't have indoor seating. Oh, <laughs> Look, I, I thought it'd be fun to risk it for the show, okay? I make a lot uh-huh. of sacrifices for this show. <laughs> and it's been about two weeks, and I'm not exhibiting symptoms yet. So it's either laying dormant or I didn't catch it. Uh, spending the day at a popular beach or pool. That is a low risk. That surprises me, especially the pool. 
a low risk. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go to a pool right now. Um, just because there tend to be a lot of kids at pools and kids, you know, it's it's pretty likely that there could be some asymptomatic carriers in that group. Um, but going to the beach, especially a non like a not very highly populated beach is something I'd be open to. And actually something we're considering for later in the summer. We kind of have it scheduled for later in the summer, sort of tentatively, depending on how things look. But um, if we end up doing it, what we would literally do is book an Airbnb, go just us. We wouldn't eat out at all. We would just cook in the Airbnb and go to our favorite deserted beach where there's usually maybe like one other family <laughs> there in addition to us. Um, so we can stay really far away from them. So that's something we're thinking about. Um, but again, we're just kind of like keeping in mind how things might change between now and then so that if we do have to change our plans, it's not the end of the world. I wonder mm-hmm. with the pool if they consider it low risk because of all the chemicals and the chlorine that they usually use in mm-hmm. public pools. And they're thinking that that might It looks like it's thing. partly that. Yeah, and also because people can space out at a beach or a pool. I don't know about spacing out at a pool, but a beach I can definitely believe that people would space out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Using a public restroom, actually low to medium risk. And this is because this is assuming that the bathroom is clean and um, because usually there's a lot of air circulation in there as well. I didn't realize that's so effective. And this this uh, is the case for at-home bathrooms, too. There's a very specific one in this NPR article. Letting a friend use your bathroom, that's low risk because of the circulation in there, the ventilation. Yeah. I would also think, you know, because people should at least be washing their hands every time they go to the bathroom. So that helps eliminate some risk as well. Staying at a hotel, low to medium risk. See, I was very safe while I was traveling across the country. <laughs> we were wiping everything down, and that's what this article says. You got to wipe everything down. Um, but hotels are usually pretty clean. It, it, it says it only gets risky if you're uh, hanging out in the common areas with other people. Getting a haircut, medium to high risk, and that's because there's close contact and breathing that is extended for several minutes. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I've been coloring my hair at home <laughs> these last couple of months. And I'm just going to make it work. Going to a nightclub, high risk. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Do that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, especially if you're making out with people at said nightclub. That's the thing. At those things, you can dance close enough to pass diseases, literally. So, <laughs> would not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Like, what's going to happen? Like, are people going to return to nightclubs? They have to. Oh. People, people love nightclubs. I have friends that are already chomping at the bit to go bar hopping. So, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> are they thinking of taking precautions or are they not even talking about that? I just think that they're not that? even thinking about that. They're just like, I'm, I'm, I need to get out of the house. I want to go out. Yeah. I want to go out at night. Yeah. I want to drink the drinks. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Going to a bar, as long as I'm six feet from other people, I think I would be comfortable with it. Maybe if they have the door open, that made me feel a little better. Or maybe just going to a bar that's has outdoor seating. Yeah, it's really hard to know how that would work because my brother is a bartender. And he was talking about the, at the time, Georgia regulation that indoor seating could open up if you could sit six feet apart from each other. 
And he was like, what bar have you ever been to where people are sitting at the bar six feet apart? That would never happen. The second you opened our bar up, it would be packed with people. There would be no social distancing. So I don't know how we implement that. Unless they like put up cubicles or some shit in bars now, and they're like, "You must sit in here." <laughs> I know some other stay countries... inside this circle. Yeah, some country. There have been other countries in Europe, I think, that have piloted this like sort of um, social distancing eating style, where they have these like almost like plastic tents that you eat inside of, so that you're not like sharing the space with your fellow diners. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to start seeing more stuff like that. Yeah. I think many Americans are just willing to take the risks because they're tired of being in quarantine, tired of being told what to do. And I think we're entering this new phase where people are just like, I'm going to risk it. I don't care because I miss my old life and I want to get back to it. Well, yeah, but honestly, that's showing the privilege that we have as a society to feel like we're going to be okay if we go out and do these things, you know, like people yeah. that feel that way. That's, that's what it is. But what I'm saying is they know there's a chance they will get coronavirus, but they don't care. Yeah. Cause they, that's just they life. Think that they're going to get better too. Like they, they can't imagine, yeah. they can't fathom that they're going to be one of these statistics yeah. And in fairness, well, and statistically, they will be okay, even if they do get, chances are, they'll be okay. And I think that's just where people are at right now. I see yeah. less and less people wearing masks outside. The weather continues to get nicer. There's more people outside. You know, there's outdoor seating available at some restaurants here now. Barbershops, like I said, are going to be opening soon. People are just ready to resume their normal lives. They don't care if coronavirus is still there period. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of these people, I think it will unfortunately take either themselves or someone in their family getting really sick for them to take it seriously and realize, you know, this isn't a joke. And contrary to the opinions that have been pushed by a lot of our leadership and some of our news outlets, um, it's not just certain groups of people who are at risk for this. This is an illness that knows no ethnicity, no zip code, no income level, no social status. So anybody can get sick. And even people who didn't have any kind of pre-existing underlying um, condition have died from it. And we're not sure why. And that should be what scares people, is that there's a new virus and we really don't know a lot about it at this point. And there's no mm -hmm. vaccine and there are no antivirals. That should be pretty frightening to people. But I think because that's not the narrative that's being pushed out there, people just assume, oh, it's like the flu, whatever, I'll get over it. All right, so let's move on to this other shit show. You know, it's really interesting. It just speaks to the leadership in this country. He's so Trump is so bad at leading this country that we're now dealing with two crises simultaneously. And I think this is the new reality, especially if he gets elected again. We're going to be juggling multiple crises because they never end. They just keep happening. Mm -hmm. They just keep going on. And unfortunately, it's very convenient for him because it exhausts people and people start tuning out because they get mentally exhausted with having to juggle so much. Um, but we we would be remiss if we didn't talk about 
um, what has happened in the last week with George Floyd. Um, but also we have to mention Breonna Taylor, um, both Black people who were murdered by police forces in their cities in Minneapolis and in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, George Floyd has really been uh, that particular story has been the driving force behind a lot of the protests that we've seen in the last week in cities across the country. Um, but I just thought, you know, before we dive into that, we've all we all know the story. Pretty confident that anybody listening right now knows the stories of what happened um, to to at least George Floyd. Um, Breonna Taylor was it's a case that's not getting reported as much, um, but she was literally sleeping in her apartment and the police busted down her door and shot her to death while she and this was, was recent sleep yeah this was in the last week wow yeah um and so that a lot of the protests that you see happening in in kentucky are related specifically to that um but i just wanted to give some space for reactions to what happened before we just dig into dig into a lot of like what resources are out there and and what we can all do to be better yeah it's kind of really hard to find the words almost to express going through this again and it really it just sucks that this keeps happening and i don't know if this is the boiling point or um if it's going to keep happening until, you know, we fix our shit. But it's just so frustrating that we keep having to have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, because nothing changes. And this reminds you of what happens around when when a mass shooting occurs in this country. Everybody is rightfully outraged and then nothing ever comes of it. The leadership never does anything to fix things permanently, at least not in this country. But it does feel like something is different this time. And I think it's the it's partly the president's reaction. It's the strong reaction from people that see the injustice here. And it's the continued headbutting that's happening between police and protesters. I mean, I, we might truly be at a breaking point here. Like something's got to give. And it's probably not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen that... Um police in many cities have been militarized. I mean, I don't know if y'all have seen some of the videos that have been put up on Twitter, but I mean, I saw footage of fully militarized police walking down a residential street, yelling at people to get off their front porches and get into their house and then shooting them with paintball guns when they didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. Because apparently being on your front porch doesn't count as being on your property. Um, Here in Atlanta, there was a case a couple of nights ago where two police officers, um, there were two HBCU students driving a car. They were just trying to pass through a crowded street. The police officers broke the windows, tased the students, pulled them both out of the car, um, you know, dragged them across the ground and then slashed their tires. I was watching that last night. They literally didn't do anything like literally didn't do anything and even even let's just suspend disbelief here and even let's just say they had does somebody deserve that kind of treatment i mean the story with george floyd is that authorities claim that he was trying to pass a 20 dollar a fake 20 dollar bill in order to buy cigarettes 
And there's so many issues with that accusation anyway. But even if we were to just assume that that was correct, is that a death sentence? Does that deserve being suffocated to death for nine minutes on the yeah. ground while while four right. other officers watch? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Also, like we've all worked retail before. I know I've come across counterfeit bills that has yes. never constituted calling the police. No, I've never called and the also, police on anybody. I had a lady come in with a fraudulent $100 bill. We did not call the police. We just told her too. we're really sorry. We hate to break it to you. This is fake. Tough shit. And the thing is, you would be surprised how many people unknowingly pass fake bills around. Right. Because the thing is, if they get accepted somewhere, they're automatically in circulation. And if someone doesn't know better, they could very well be trying to use it and and think that they're using it legitimately. 100%. So So many valid reasons why, even if this was true, he might have had that. And so it it like doesn't even matter because that's not something that justifies that sort of behavior. The Minneapolis Police Department claims that this was not standard protocol, which really leads me to wonder where the fuck this officer got the idea to put his knee on a person's neck for nine minutes. And this is one of the things that's so different this time around. The police seem particularly harsh everywhere. We keep seeing these videos. I mean, it feels like almost every hour of the day, there's a new video of police officers mistreating protesters. Just before we started recording, D.C. police started clearing out peaceful protesters so Trump could walk down the street, go to church, literally just hold up a Bible and then walk back to the White House. They tear gassed those peaceful protesters and they hit them with rubber bullets. A reporter lost her eye permanently because a rubber bullet hit her the other day. Another video I just saw from earlier today, the same DC police beating reporters. This is stuff we never would have imagined happening in this country, and I don't know what's going on. Are the police, do the police feel inspired by Trump's rhetoric? That's the only thing I can figure out. Are they, they can't all be getting together on Zoom and being like, let's be extra asshole to our citizens. I will say, though, really quick, is that I, I I, also feel like we've never been more connected to technology. And as people that denounce racism and will go out to, you know, fight against it, we finally learned, like all these people that are protesting, they finally learned what to do. We all know what to do. We're not going out there. You see something bad happening. Take your phone out and start recording. I think this is the like one of the first times that everybody is making sure that they have the receipts to back it up because this isn't the first time yep. police have done this. This is just the clearest shot we've ever gotten. And that's why people are having such a hard time looking away, you know, that you can't yeah. say yeah. what happened before they started recording because we literally saw a clear shot of a man dying, getting murdered. You know, you can't. You can't explain that away as well as some no. of the other stuff. Or people that like to explain this shit away can't do it. Right. There's no ambiguity anymore. And um I think also, and this was um this was a point that was brought up by Mark, my boyfriend. He was like, 
I he was positing, he was like, I don't think that this is necessarily something that's more frequent now. The difference is that people have the means with which to capture it, like Pam was yeah, talking totally. about. He was like, it's not like all of a sudden when Trump got elected, the police became more violent or people became more racist. They're just it's now permissible to do so in the public. And that yeah. corresponds with you know, technology being so ubiquitous at this point. I mean, look at the Rodney King riots in the 90s in yeah. L.A. Um, look at the Black Panther movement in like the 70s and 80s. Oscar Grant, much more recent out here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. They were there were riots for that, too. Mm-hmm. It's just now we all have unlimited data plans and we're being smarter about making sure that we hold these people accountable. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's enraging people and in power because the system is made to help them get out of this shit this is one of the blessings of modern technology that we can film start filming in an instant and get it online within an instant and you can easily get that to millions of people within seconds because of how reliable thank god twitter facebook all these all these platforms are So, you know, we have a lot of issues with social media and whatnot, but this is one of the good things. And if we keep holding these police forces and these people, other people who are mistreating people accountable, we might actually get somewhere in this country. And I'm hopeful we will over time because these videos, unfortunately, are going to start. They're going to continue coming out and people are going to continue to be held accountable like this person, um, this this person that put their knee on uh, George Floyd's neck and back and killed him. I thought we could also talk about the protests because this is a nationwide um, Mm -hmm. occurrence at this point. I mean, it's been happening in my city of Atlanta for the last few days. I know, Andrew, you were saying Pat's coming home because it seems like it's getting started tonight. Yeah, he Um, said there's at least 200 to 300 police in full gear he just saw tonight. So he was spooked by that. So, And to be honest, they're the ones that fucking scare me. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's just been so much evidence of them, you know, of peaceful protests going on. And then as soon as the police arrive with tanks and riot gear, then stuff gets escalated. Then, you know, and it's like (laughs) the fact that they're not they're not seeing I don't I think they know that they're not seeing that that escalates the situation is is really frustrating. Like in Savannah, Georgia, which is a small city. It is not very big. They had tanks on Main Street, on whatever the main street in Savannah is. Tanks. There was no fucking reason for it. And Trump wants to continue ramping that up. He wants to militarize the cities. He said this earlier tonight. It's insane. And and his supporters like this. They want the cities militarized, which in any other administration, they would not have wanted. But they are just in it with him. It's, It's amazing. A convenience store on my block, literally the building next to mine, got looted last night, which really surprised me because I'm not near downtown where most of the protests are happening. But in my neighborhood overnight, there has been a lot of looting and it's scary. What do you guys make of the looting? Because that's been one of the big arguments over the past couple of days. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a long string of thoughts. Pam, do, do you have something you want to get in ahead of me (laughs) um i feel like you might have some similar reactions maybe yeah so i'm not gonna lie it it makes me a bit uncomfortable but only because i worry 
that when this simmers down a little bit, we're going to be focusing on the destruction and it's going to take away the general message of what is trying to be accomplished here. And I would just hate for that to happen because it's just one factor of a right. larger situation. And, and and I think that, like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people um, like retweeting, like, you, you know, like if, if you're against looting, then you're for murder or like if you're more upset about looting and like than you are about the murder of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, then your priorities are not in the right place. I just feel like the idea of that is a little bit too generalized for most people. And I think that it's okay mm -hmm. if like um, the destruction of property makes you uncomfortable. But mm -hmm. I think yeah, it's also I important agree. to just talk to yourself and figure out why that is, you know? Right. And the other question is, who are these people doing it? And why are they doing it? Are they doing it because they're mad about what happened to George Floyd? Are they or are they doing it just because they see an excuse to rob a store? Because right now there are some questions about wh why are these people actually doing this? So my thing and is, who are these people? My feeling um, with protests in general, generally speaking, when you have massive protests like this, there's some element of this behavior that always comes. There's always going to be like a lower common denominator of people who aren't really there for the reason that the protesters are there. There's mm -hmm. always going to be somebody who wants to take advantage of the situation for their own benefit. Um, and I mean, just to be straight with y'all, like white people loot and destroy shit after sports games. White people tear cities apart after major athletic events, and nobody ever talks about that. It's I think it's certainly one thing to be concerned about um, property destruction, especially considering a lot of businesses that end up getting hit are like small businesses. Um, and, and that is completely understandable to have concerns about that. Um, but at the same time, it seems like looting is only really something that gets a ton of coverage and is used as an excuse to be against protesting when black people do it. Mm -hmm. And then when white people do it, it never gets covered. Like there's been there have been so many examples of looting being perpetrated by white people during these protests in cities across the country. And that's not getting reported because it's not sexy. It's not the narrative that people expect to see. So it's not what our mainstream news outlets are going to show. But I've seen so many examples of white people defacing public property and black people coming up to them and being like, stop it. They're going to blame it on us. Right. Right. Yeah. I think we saw that with a Starbucks in L.A. Yep. There was a video that went viral mm -hmm. on Twitter. Um, yeah. So like I said, the, the question is, who are these people and why are they doing it? And I also agree that there's been too much coverage on the looting and not enough coverage on the peaceful protests. Like that phrase I've brought up before, if it bleeds, it leads. It's just more 
it, it benefits the media to focus more on the looting and the violent parts of the protests instead of the the peaceful protests. Well, yeah, because they want to they want to sensationalize and they want to scare yeah. people because scaring people is what gets them the ratings, right? It's what gets right. them the clicks. It keeps people tuned in. It's it's much more entertaining for a lot of people to watch the violent protests, the fights instead of the peaceful stuff where they're all sitting around singing kumbaya. And also, I would like to draw a connection between these two crises. I mean, you have 100,000 people dead, 40 million people unemployed. People have been cooped up at home. There's a lot of fear and panic happening about the coronavirus and the total lack of response from our government. So, I think it's entirely possible that this was like a powder keg. People were already primed to be angry. And then these recent killings of innocent black people just set a lot of people off, justifiably so, I think. Yeah. It's it's a lot to have to contend with right now. Like, I feel, I was telling you guys before we started, I feel so heavy and so tired and that's me with my lived experience of walking around in a white body my entire life. I cannot mm-hmm. imagine what black and brown people feel right now. How about the uh, All Lives Matter people? A lot of those people are coming out right now. Oh, my God. We always <laughs> we, every time. We, it's just amazing. It's amazing, though, that people still don't understand it. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And mm-hmm. why it's wrong to say all lives matter. Um, we posted Black Lives Matter posts on the MuggleCast social media last night. And I bring that one up because almost immediately after we posted that on the Facebook, all lives matter. Don't you guys know all lives matter? <laughs> and- um, um, don't you know you can go fuck yourself? <laughs> That's what I think. We should have a gif of that. And that should just be our response. Just Eric you. and Micah would probably be really <laughs> mad if I oh used that. God. But... But, well, you know, whatever <laughs> what I did do it. on the MuggleCast Facebook page, and I did this through my own profile, I said, anyone saying all lives matter in the comments will be banned from this page. Unfortunately, we don't have room for ignorant people here. Thank you. I like saying thank you like yeah. Trump does at that <laughs> statement. It's funny. <laughs> Is that I the one good love... thing he taught you? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I just love not giving a fuck. And I will say what's been really nice is a lot of brands, I, I kind of feel slimy bringing this up, but a lot of brands are getting behind the Black Lives Matter movement this time. Not during past events. I'm seeing like the Harry Potter pages, like every brand out there is going Black Lives Matter. And of course, you look in the comments, all lives matter, all lives matter. But this week is very different. People are really getting behind this movement. And it's good to see. I know their brands... They have ulterior motives in some cases. But for them to stick their necks out and do that, risking customers, I got to applaud them a little bit. It worked for Nike with Colin Kaepernick. So I don't know. I just like at at this point, if you you can't see that you won't lose that many people if Mm -hmm. all you're worried about is money. You're just being a little bit blind. But but here's my whole thing about brands. Like, it's nice. And if, you know, you are black and it makes you feel good to see that, who am I to say, you know, you shouldn't be applauding that because that's not my place. But I really hope that 
that sentiment carries across behind the scenes, you know, and not just at people on the ground level, but also in the boardrooms, in like, you know, in the executive offices, in all of the places where decisions have to be made. Because if you're closing your doors, you know, the higher you get up in these levels of these huge companies with shitloads of money, then you're not really being supportive of a community mm-hmm. of people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I, I was thinking the exact same thing. One, it'll be interesting to see for which companies this sticks. But two, I want to see companies put their money where their mouth is literally when it comes to their own employment practices and their own promotion practices um, and, you know, building equitable career ladders for people to rise mm-hmm. into leadership positions if they want to. Um, I think that companies that are truly committed to this cause will start doing mm-hmm. or will start making moves like that. And the ones that don't, you know, sorry to say it, but I think it could be a bit of a cash grab. Yeah, that's my my um, cynical side coming out. It's it's possible, but I think it's good to hear and it's good to see. Right. It It's good to see this unity, which we need so badly right now. I just think about when I was, maybe I was out at this point, but gay marriage came up for debate in New Jersey back in like, I don't know, 2010 or something, and it was coming up to a vote or something. And seeing my husband, Bruce Springsteen, come out in support of gay marriage just meant so much to me. Seeing your idols, seeing people you respect come forward and vocalize Black Lives Matter in this case, I think means the world to a lot of people, even if they are brands in some cases. Mm-hmm. But I think one lesson that we've been getting from this past week too is white people don't be silent. Speak up. Say Black Lives Matter. Share resources. Donate. Yeah. Like get behind your black brothers and sisters because they will appreciate it and they want they want to hear it. Yeah. And we're we're going to actually get into some points on um, being actively anti-racist here in a moment. But um, just a couple of things that we wanted to share for our Black listeners. Um, so there's a group called Ethel's Club that's holding, um, excuse me, virtual group healing and grieving sessions that are open to Black people around the world. Um, the sessions are going to be led by licensed Black therapists. Um, they currently have two dates set up for mid and late June that have already gotten booked up, but they have already announced that they're going to be putting more dates on the calendar. Um, so that's just something we wanted to share. We'll put that in the show notes so you can keep up with it and hopefully get signed up for a session if that's something that interests you. Also, if you need space to vent or be in your feelings or whatever. Our Facebook group, our email, millennialshow at gmail.com, and our confessional are all open to you. Um, if you don't want to share what you put in those places on the show, please just specify that. Like, hey, this isn't really something I want to be on the air. I just need a space. Um, please do that. And we, you know, we wouldn't share it. But we just want to make sure that y'all know that there is a space in this community for you and a space for you, you know, to have the room to be able to vent um, or share any feelings that you may have surrounding this. Now, we've put together some recommendations for um, not being a Karen (laughs) or otherwise known as a white supremacist. Sorry to everyone named Karen. It's not really your fault that you're named Karen. It's just... An unfortunate correlation between the name Karen and some certain 
white supremacist behaviors. Um, but we want to talk to, about... <laughs> can I just quickly say, I went to yeah. my favorite bagel shop in Chicago the other day. And uh, in the window, they had a sign that said, wear a mask, Karen. <laughs> it's like, damn, poor Karens. We wanted to talk about being um, actively anti-racist. And mind you, like, our panel, like, none of us are black. Um, so we are not claiming to be, like, the end-all be-all of this, of these recommendations. We're not claiming that everything we say is necessarily always the right way to say something. But we are all people who want to educate ourselves and want to try and be better and we're pretty aware that we've got um, probably mostly white listeners, <laughs> I would guess. Um, and we just thought it was important to share some of this for those of you who feel the same way about wanting to get better educated and be more involved. Um, so the first step to this is obviously to educate yourself. Um, this is something that I know can be a bit frustrating um, for people of color in general, um, having white people come to them and be like, can you tell me what I did wrong? Or can you teach me about that? Or why is this a problem? Um, so there's a couple of resources we'd recommend for that. There's um, a site called Abolitionist Futures um, and the Prison Culture Blogs, a list of essential reading. And we can link both of those in the show notes. I also... I've had a lot of really good conversations in the last few days with friends across um, the spectrum. And we've talked a lot about how racism doesn't go away. It just mutates. It's kind of like a virus. So like the, the racism that we see now is really different than the racism that was going on, you know, pre-civil rights movement or like in the midst of the civil rights movement where people were being like very vocally racist because it was still okay to be that way. And what's so scary about it now is that people largely know it's not okay. So it, it's become this quiet racism that's sort of like implicit with people. And that can be scary because it's harder to identify. Um, I don't know if y'all agree with that or if that's something you've noticed in your own lives yeah yeah yes. i agree with that yeah also just thinking about how you know we need to be involved in the electoral process because in a lot of ways there are going to be need to be changes to laws in order to push progress folks can disagree with me on this but i really think it's going to be a lot harder um to change hearts like the, the heart of a hardened racist mm -hmm. is going to be really difficult to crack, but we can change laws and we can do things like um, do a better job of holding authorities accountable when these kinds of things happen. Mm -hmm. um, the officer who killed George Floyd has obviously been arrested, but we don't know if we're going to get a conviction out of that. We also talked about Ahmed Arbery a couple of weeks back who was killed while he was just on a jog through a neighborhood here in Georgia and a grand jury has been brought in on that, but it's still unclear of where that's going to go. Oftentimes when grand juries get brought in on these things, um, there's, there's no conviction. So we really need to make sure that we are supporting legislation and voting people into office who are going to be 
um, in favor of making these kinds of legal changes. I just really like what you said about how it it's um it's like a lifelong process because uh-huh. you're never really done educating yourself. And I think it's really important to check in with yourself every once in a while and, you know, um, ask yourself if you're if you're doing enough or if maybe you've misstepped because, like Laura said, it, it's constantly evolving this idea of what racism is or what it can look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is confronting your implicit biases. Um, these are internal biases that the human brain has formed over tens of thousands of years um, that are based in stereotypes and that are programmed into all of us to some degree. And we're actually going to be doing this in After Dark today. So we've all taken um, some implicit bias testing in order to try and pinpoint where some of our own implicit biases may be. And we're hoping to use those to try and, you know, be better informed about where where our areas for development are, um, but also to hopefully share as a resource with all of you at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to that discussion. Um, but also just being sure, especially, you know, this what we're talking about right now, like this obviously centers on the black community and just knowing that anytime you're talking with or about any, um, any group of people of color, just knowing when it's your turn to shut up and listen to someone. Um, so if someone is telling you about their lived experience, you don't need to interject. I think white people sometimes have a tendency to like feel like our voices are always needed and they're not <laughs> says the podcaster <laughs> yeah no it's, it's totally true I no i mean we're, we're coming from a place where like we don't have a black person on the panel right now that is worth pointing out a hundred percent i was just mm-hmm. gonna say especially if you're asking if you're going through the trouble of burdening um your poc friend or your black friend um with asking them why you might have misstepped, like Laura was saying before. I think that people, even though they're genuinely interested to know why what they did might not be okay, it's really easy to get defensive when somebody's telling you what you did wrong. And so you owe it to that person that you asked to to listen completely to what they're trying to say to you before you butt in and say, Oh, but like, I didn't mean it that way. Or like, but what about this? Or but I'm not this because, you know, I hate to say it, but like your white guilt is showing (laughs) and it's not a good look, especially when, you know, you're troubling somebody by asking them to explain things to you that are not easy to talk about sometimes. And it doesn't feel good when somebody's sharing their experience with you and you and you just like don't want to take it for the implications that it could have or how it might reflect on you. There is so much white liberal guilt out there. Um, and I'll I'll say right now, I have been guilty of this in the past. Like I had to get called on this before I realized like, oh yeah, that's actually not productive or helpful at all. But when you're falling all over yourself to tell someone how guilty you feel about what they're going through, you're making it about you. Mm-hmm. And that's not helpful to anyone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the best thing to do is listen mm-hmm. 
and ask questions to try and better clarify your understanding instead of trying to tell someone how you feel because they're trying to tell you how they feel. You see this so often on social media when like a crime happens or something. The first thing people comment is, oh, that was only two blocks from me. That was just down the street from me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like nobody gives a fuck about you. Or also because you're you're the center of your own universe. You know, I think we're programmed kind of to believe that, you know, like Laura was saying, where your brain has hidden biases, of course, you're you're going to try and protect yourself or think about how it relates to you. But I think part of having empathy is learning how to um, put yourself to one side for a minute for the sake of the greater good or for somebody else's good. And I fully recognize, I noted that there was a looting on my black about 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing to point out. But I think it's just rather than like, when you do come across something where you feel like, oh, I could have done that better. I think the way that you do it better is to just do it Mm -hmm. and not be like, constantly like i'm so sorry i'll never do it again and like turn it into this like kind of turn like the pity around on yourself this is something that i see from a lot of people who are trying to be allies and it's something i've been guilty of in the past too is because you when you get called on something you feel embarrassed right yeah um but i think the trick is to take that feeling and you know use it to project yourself um, or use it to put yourself on a better trajectory in terms of how you react to these things. Um, Also, we would just want to say like support organizations across the country that are covering the bail and legal fees for protesters who've been arrested. Um, The show is actually going to be donating $1,000 to the bail project, which um, assists with covering the bail um, across the United States. Um, But also there's the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which has gotten a lot of attention um, due to everything happening in Minneapolis right now. There's the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund, the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, and you can also check the National Bail Fund Network in order to find bail funds in your state. Um, And finally, um, we would just like to support, um, you know, making we would like to support your your local black businesses. Um, that would be a final recommendation for today. A good place to look is Official Black Wall Street, and we can provide a link to that in the show notes um, that can connect you with a lot of Black-owned businesses in your area. And there's also, I found this app today. It's really cool. It's called Eat Okra. It's available on iOS and Android, and it connects you with Black-owned restaurants oh, in your that's area. That's cool. Yeah. So it's like Uber for Black-owned restaurants. (laughs) All right, good stuff. Thanks for sharing all that. And I see that MS Stroh, who was just listening to the live stream, says she just donated to the Bail Project while listening to this stream. So glad we inspired you to do that. Before we get to recommendations, just want to note that, as people may have noticed, we don't have any advertisers this week. And this has been the case for a few weeks now because of what's been going on with COVID-19. A lot of advertisers have been cutting their advertising budgets because nobody's spending, or at least they think nobody's going to be spending. So we've been more reliant on your support via patreon.com slash millennial. Um, We would really appreciate your support there with support tiers as low as $2 a month. It's very affordable to join us on Patreon. 
And to thank you all for supporting us, we have lots of benefits. And by the way, we've seen many new people pledge recently. Over the past couple of months, we've seen a lot of support, more support than, frankly, we were probably anticipating. We just didn't think people actually listened to the podcast. So, <laughs> I mean, we know you listen, but do you listen to the point of actually pledging? The answer evidently is yes. So thank you very much to everybody who supported us. We deeply appreciate it. It feels so good to be supported when we ask for it. So thank you so much to everybody who's been pledging. And if you're not in a place to part with your hard-earned cash, we totally get that. And there's still ways you can support the show. You can subscribe to us for free on your favorite podcasting app. A lot of you probably already do, but some people don't. And we want to make sure you're subscribed so that you're getting every episode of Millennial. You can also share your favorite episodes of the show with a friend and follow us on social media. We're a Millennial Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Getting the word out there about the show also really helps us out if you can't support us financially. And of course, when we do have sponsors, we really appreciate when you use those promo codes. We don't get a kickback from those exactly, um, but the advertiser knows that you're listening. So they will continue to advertise on the podcast. So that is really helpful as well. So again, patreon.com slash millennial. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to the show for free. Tell a friend about the show bunch of ways you can support us um, and we could really use that support right now while we don't have advertisers hopefully they'll come back but who knows um okay so time now for recommendations a few weeks ago i recommended a new version of who wants to be a millionaire hosted by jimmy kimmel by the way last week anderson cooper and andy cohen were on and oh my god it was so funny they're gonna be back again this week and i can't wait to watch that but i don't know if They timed this on purpose, but AMC bought a drama from the UK called Quiz, and it follows the real-life story of people who cheated who wants to be a millionaire over in the UK, and it's a dramatization of what happens. Yeah, Laura, I think your interest is peaked, it looks like. Yeah. So I just watched the first episode. It's airing Sunday nights on AMC. It's only three episodes. It's a quick little miniseries. And uh, I'm enjoying it so far. And it's also an interesting look at how Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came into existence to begin with. It's called Quiz, AMC, Sundays. Check it out. I love stories about cheating game shows. There was a movie like this as well. Not about Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but about another game show. And it's fascinating that people have actually cheated these systems. Yeah, I just like seeing a lot of like behind the scenes palace intrigue. Yeah of various institutions um so that sounds interesting i'll definitely have to check it out um i have kind of a late recommendation here because this has been around for a while but i just started watching dead to me on netflix uh last week uh during our break and it is really good i wasn't sure it was going to be something that i was into but it's got its darkness but it's also very humorous and christina applegate and linda Card- linda cardellini are just really great in it mm-hmm. um so it's it's a good pretty easy watch um if you're looking for some a little bit of escapism right now season two and season two just came out not long ago right so. yeah just came out pat and i have been engrossed with Mad Men. we finally finished it so now we can move on with our lives um and we're going to be watching that along with the new season of queer eye which comes out June 5th, I believe. That's exciting. Yeah, everybody needs that right now. That's a feel-good show. Yeah. 
Um, mine's not very feel good recommendation, but just to go with the theme of the show, I wanted to recommend the book Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by journalist Rennie Edo Lodge. Um, I read this about two years ago when it came out, and I just felt like it offered up a really good perspective of um, systemic racism in terms of like the history behind why things are the way they are. It is um, like told through a British lens because she is British, but I do think it, it just like the themes are really universal and you can t- still take something away from that. And maybe even also learn about how these issues that we're facing in America aren't just unique to us. So um, keep educating yourselves because it's good for everybody okay. when you do. Agreed. If you want to get in touch with us, please write to us, millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. We also have a confessional there. And like I said a few minutes ago, do follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Who's closing us out today? Um, so today we're actually going to be closed out by an artist out of Minnesota. Um, they are... Um, uh, Sudanese American non-binary uh, and they are named Dua Sala and they put out a song called Body Cast inspired by the current state of affairs so we're going to play a clip from that okay and I should also ask what's coming up in After Dark this week <laughs> well we're going to be talking about uh, the latest flub by one of our favorite children's authors on Twitter Don't. and We're also going to be testing ourselves for the hidden bias that we discussed earlier on in the show. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everybody. Switching up the setting. Stitch upon your lips, you know already. Bitch, I never said it. No, I never said it. No, I never, no, I never said it. Snitchy, you'll regret it. Switching up the setting. Stitch upon your lips, I know you're ready. I know my right. Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today.